Welcome to you this morning. You've already been welcomed, uh, and we're glad that you're here today. And congratulations, you beat the Easter rush by being here this morning, okay? But we hope that you'll come back on Easter, as John said, and bring someone with you. And uh, we're looking forward to the season that we're already in. And we're glad, again, that uh, you're joining us this morning. If you're joining us online, welcome to you. Maybe this is your first time. We're glad that you're with us today. We hope you'll come back again and uh, listen as we transition into another series next week. But we've been in this series in Joshua called Transitions. And a number of you have told me how timely this has been in your life because you're going through all kinds of transitions. And all of us are, aren't we? Whether we realize it, we, we are in transition in life. And ultimately, we're all in transition, aren't we? This world's just temporary, thank the Lord. It's not where we will dwell eternally. Our citizenship is not here. It is with the Lord in heaven. So uh, we're uh, all on a journey together. And God wants to teach us some things along the way. I want to introduce, uh, by the way, did you watch the game last night? How many of you watched the game? They do not consider church people when they start ball games at 9 o'clock at night, do they? But uh, how many of you are glad Carolina won? Go ahead and yeah, a few of you are. I guess the rest of you were pulling for, sorry. But Kansas and Carolina, it's going to be a good championship. So I enjoy sports, don't you? It's not my life. You know, it's, it's something that passes. I like basketball, but you probably have figured out that uh, baseball is my uh, favorite sport. I'm sorry, Foot, football is my favorite sport. Baseball is the sport that I've played uh, most in my life. I'll share a little bit more about that in a minute. But I have a football illustration for you this morning. So watch this video before we begin the message today. Got to watch close. It doesn't last very long. A football player shared a video of him tackling his own teammate. Oh, so here it is. Oh. Well, the other player made a great interception, but he ran the wrong direction. So there he goes. You see his own guy chasing him down here. He tackled him at the 10. <laughs> Someone on the sidelines right there is just losing it. That would have been a, a safety. I agree. have been two points for the other team had he made it all the way to the end zone. So he didn't obviously realize it until that point, hopefully. And look, well, is that the he still doesn't know why okay, I'm the coach commentary. But but go, that happened so fast. Have you figured out what happened now? Go back and play that again. This guy makes an interception, but in high school football player the wrong direction, tackling his own teammate. Oh, so here it is. Oh. Well, the other player made a great interception, but he ran the wrong direction. So there he goes. You see his own guy chasing him down here. He tackled him at the 10. <laughs> Someone on the sidelines right there is just losing it. That would have been a, a safety. I agree. have been two points for the other team had he made it all the way to the end zone. I, so he didn't obviously realize it until that point, mm -hmm. hopefully. Do you know what happened there? The guy ran the wrong way. You know, I can see how that can happen in the heat of the game, can't you? Here's the question. Have you ever done anything like that? Well, maybe not on the football field, but maybe in life, we have run in the wrong direction at times. And you saw the frustration on the sideline. The coach is like, 
What in the world? I've, I've been working with these guys for months, years. They don't even know which way to run on the field. Well, obviously the guy didn't run the wrong direction on purpose, but he did run in the wrong direction. Now, uh, let me tell you a true story. This was true as well because you saw it on, on you believe everything you see on video, right? <clears throat> and everything you read on the internet. But let me, let me go back to uh, another story far before this video. January 1st, 1929. Nobody in here remembers that. The California Golden Bears faced the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. Midway through the second quarter, Roy Regals, who played center, picked up a fumble just 30 yards from the Yellow Jackets' end zone. Regals was somehow turned around and ran 65 yards in the wrong direction. His teammate and quarterback, Benny Lom, chased Regal, screaming at him to stop. Known for his speed, Lom finally caught up with Regals at California's three-yard line and tried to turn him around, but he was immediately hit by a wave of Tech players and tackled back to the one-yard line. The Bears chose to punt rather than risk a play so close to their end zone, another bad choice, but Tech blocked the punt, so there was a safety, two points for a safety, okay? If it wouldn't have been seven points, it would have been two points if he'd run into his own end zone. So there was a, a two points, remember that. It gave Georgia Tech a two-to-nothing lead. Regals was so distraught, he didn't want to play the second half. Can you imagine the shame how can I run the wrong way on the field? Well, it happened, and it happens in life. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now in some capacity of life. Uh, you can't go back. He couldn't go back and redo this play. He, he couldn't change anything. It had already happened. And maybe you have found yourself there. I have been there in the fifth grade. I still remember this. This ended my basketball career. We were playing rec league. We were playing at the elementary school in Czech in Floyd. I wasn't a very good basketball player, but I was with the rest of the guys. Came down to the last play of the game, and they were shooting foul shots with just a few seconds left. Well, we were down by one, and they had two shots, shooting foul. Well, the coach thinking, maybe they'll miss. A good coach is always thinking ahead, right? Maybe they'll miss the foul shots. He pulled me off the foul line and put me under our basket, by my, all by my lonesome. Sure enough, the guy missed both foul shots. We're down by one. Here comes the ball to me at the other end of the court. I'm there all by myself. I shot and missed. I got the rebound. I shot and missed again. And the game ended. And so did my basketball career, pretty much. But I did enjoy baseball. I played softball until I was 40, like Russell. Russell played longer than that, I think. And uh, my... Softball career ended when Allison said, you got to quit this because I was playing second base in church league and turning a double play 
And instead of sliding, the guy ran through second base like this and caught me right under the chin. I dropped to the ground. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't preach for a month. And uh, my voice still, uh, I, can, I can still tell at times, especially when I'm stressed or tired, that that had it, took a toll. But here's what my doctor told me. He said, it's a wonder he hadn't torn your trachea. You know what happens when your trachea is torn? Well, you die almost instantly. You suffocate. So I said, okay, Lord, I think I'll listen to my wife and quit playing softball. But I enjoy sports. So this illustration today is uh, an illustration of failure in a man's life that he thought he could never overcome. And maybe you're here today, and spiritually speaking, you're feeling like a failure. Lots of people do. Lots of people make choices in life, and they're either told or they feel like, I can never overcome these poor choices that I've made in life. Well, we're going to look at a story today of failure, but we're going to see what God did with it. I'm in Joshua this morning, and there's the video again. Let's see if we can skip over that. Yes, I'm in Joshua uh, chapter 7, and we're just going to read a few verses here this morning for the sake of time in chapter 7 and chapter 8. Joshua 7.1, but the children of Israel committed a trespass. Not sure my scripture matches what I'm reading, so I'm going to go ahead and, and read. The children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, uh, the son of Zerah, the, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Same story, a little different translation. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Here are the spies again. We've seen the spies several times, haven't we? When they returned to Joshua, here was their report. Now you begin to wonder, why would Joshua ever listen to a spy again? They returned to Joshua and they said, Not, a, uh, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it. And do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. What happened? Well, several things happened here. One thing that happened is they were proud of their previous successes. See, they had just crossed the Jordan in flood stage. They had just taken Jericho by a miraculous act of God, and it was pretty easy for them because they really didn't have to do anything. They just watched God act. So pride began to rise up. They became overconfident because of their past successes. They thought, we've got this. So the spies go up, probably a little overconfident. They go to spy the next city, which is Ai, and <clears throat> they come back and they give Joshua this report. Ah, don't worry about it. It's going to be easy. Just a few people. 
It'll be a cinch to take this city. Just send up two or 3,000 because uh, only a few people live there. And what happened? Well, they underestimated the enemy. Sounds familiar in our day, doesn't it? Mr. Putin underestimated the Ukraine. And uh, we see what's happening in that country as a result of his overconfidence, his pride. So they're, they're modern-day illustrations that are brought about in Scripture every day, not only in the events around us, but in our own lives. Every one of us can relate to a time in our life when because of pride or overconfidence or underestimating uh, the situation, we have made bad decisions. But that's not the worst, worst part of this decision. The worst part of this decision is that God didn't go with them. See, that was the key. God had gone before them each time, and it was God who gave them the victory. They left God out of this decision. There is no indication that Joshua prayed about this battle as he had done previously. And by the way, Joshua's going to learn a hard lesson himself. So it's not just Achan, who we know, if you know the story, and John preached on this a few months ago. So again, I won't plow that ground. But there was a poor decision here, and it cost the lives of 36 brave soldiers. So, Achan, who was the perpetrator of this uh, disobedience to God, took something that didn't belong to him. For sake of time, I'll, I'll summarize in case you don't know the story. For those of you who did, what did he take? Well, he took some of the spoils of war which he wasn't supposed to take. Now, an army would often do this. They would go in, they would ransack a city, they would destroy the other army, and they would just take what they wanted. You know, it still happens. Except this time, God had said, don't take anything. Nothing. Do not take anything. Do not take the gold, do not take the silver, do not take anything that you find. And as a result of Achan's disobedience, the entire nation suffered and 36 men lost their lives. Now, it's a sad story. If you go down, there was a process. They didn't know who had taken the, the uh the accursed things, as God called them, gold and silver and a nice leather jacket is what it amounted to. He saw, this, he saw the gold, he couldn't resist. We understand that temptation. He saw the silver, he couldn't resist. He saw this nice leather jacket and he just had to have it. So he took those things and he went back into his tent. And through a process, they discovered who had done this and... Joshua begins to investigate and realizes this is why God didn't give us the victory because somebody was disobedient. Well, they finally figured out that it was Achan. And as a result, verse 24 of Joshua 7, Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire, 
after they had stoned them with stones. A costly mistake, costly decision. Actually, it was disobedience. And you know what God called it? He called it sin because it was in direct disobedience to him. Now, I thought about entitling this message, No Man is an Island, because that's true. The decisions that we make, and I'll say it to you men, the decisions that we make don't just affect us, they affect everybody around us. They, they affect your wife, they affect your children, they affect your family, they affect your co-workers, they affect your church. Every sinful decision that we make has terrible consequences. So that's the message before the message. No man is an island when we disobey God and when we sin against God, we need to call it what God calls it, sin. You see how seriously God took this. He didn't just brush it off and say, well, do better next time, Achan. And he, no, they directly disobeyed God, and when we sin against God, God has to deal with sin. So, if you're sinning, stop. If you're thinking about sinning, don't. If your sin is in the past and you haven't confessed it, confess it. But here's the good news. When we sin as believers, what does 1 John say? If we, what, confess our sin, what does it mean to confess? It means to call it what God calls it, sin. Achan didn't do that until he had to. But when we confess our sin... What is God's part? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think John called that the Christian confession verse one day or Christian cleansing verse. As believers, we're saved, we live for a while and then we sin and we wonder what happened and God says, you've sinned, so confess that sin. You don't need to be saved all over again. You need to confess that sin. Call it what I call it. Don't justify it. Don't blame someone else as we always do in this day. Own it, admit it, confess it, and God said he will forgive. So, specific directions, explicit directions that God gave and, and Achan disobeyed and it was costly. You know, uh, failure always leaves us feeling worthless, doesn't it? You've been there? Failure leaves you feeling worthless. Aiken found that his failure was even more destructive. Not only did he lose his life, his family, all that he had was destroyed because God said, this is what I mean, and this is what I, what I say, and this is what I mean, and as a result, he lost his life because of his sin. Now, we come back to Joshua. Here, he's in leadership. What's he going to do? Is he going to brush this aside? No, he did what God told him to do. He dealt with the sin. And now, 
after a lot of reflection from Joshua and the entire nation and the, the entire army, if you go through chapter 7, you see how Joshua sought this out and he, re, he repented for his nation. Then when he found out what had happened to remove the power of God, he did what he had to do as a leader, and Achan was stoned to death according to the law. Now, imagine with me for a moment that it's just halftime. Failure in the first half. You can relate that to, to this football player who had great failure and he goes to the locker room. And you know what Roy Regal said when he hit the locker room? That's it, I quit. I'm not going back out there. There is no way I have ruined my reputation. I've ruined the team. Coach, I've ruined you. I am not going back out on that field. I'm sure Joshua felt the same way. God, how can we ever have the confidence that we can go back out and have your power? Well, look at chapter 8 at what God said to Joshua. We're in the huddle with Joshua and God again. We've been there before. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land, and you shall do to Ai and its kings as you did to Jericho and its king. Only now, Joshua, its spoils and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. He gives... Joshua, a halftime pep talk, if you will. Now, we'll find out about Roy Regal's pep talk a little later in the message. But here's Joshua feeling pretty worthless. I'm sure he blamed himself. I'm sure he probably said, maybe I should have been more clear about what God said. You, you don't know what goes through a leader's mind sometimes. You know, we're human just like you, and sometimes we see people fail, and, and our hearts are broken, everyone else's hearts are broken, but ultimately it's the choice of the person who made the decision. But it can be very discouraging, and it can be very damaging. So failure leaves us feeling worthless. Now sometimes when we fail, we tell ourselves things like this. God can never use me again. My failure has been so severe, either we have been told that by a pastor or someone else that we respect, we've been told that by someone in our families, uh, this is fatal, God can never use you again. Is that true? No, it's not true. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know, I have made such a, a bad choice in life in the past that it has destroyed me and God can never use me again. That is not true. God is not limited by our failures. We limit ourselves, but God is not limited. Sometimes we tell ourselves, well, then God could never use me as he could before. You know, I know people who have been told that and who have believed that, and basically they didn't go back after halftime into the game. 
They're sitting on the sidelines in their defeat. That is not true, by the way. I have heard people who think and believe that God could never forgive them for what they have done. Let me tell you this. There is no confessed sin that God will not forgive. The only sin that God can't forgive is that sin that's not confessed and hasn't been put under the blood of Jesus Christ. So that is not true. God will forgive you. Are there scars? Are there all kinds of implications that we carry through life? Absolutely, there are. I'm sure that Joshua never forgot what happened at Ai. And as a result, it, it had a, a positive effect on him. It, it strengthened his decision-making, and he vowed from that moment on, I will never again go into battle without knowing that God is with me. And he never did. So as a result of the failure, there was something good that came out of it. And then this one. God will never forget what I have done. Now you say, how can God forget? God can forgive because of the work of his son on the cross. He places our sin upon Jesus and there was a sacrifice for our sin. That's what it takes for us to be forgiven of our sin was the death of God's only son, Jesus. And we're coming into that season when we remember the cross and what God did for us when Christ took our sin. God says he will forgive, and God also says that he will forget. Did you know that God forgets our sin? Now, how can God forget something? Well, here's how God forgets. He chooses never to bring it up again. He chooses never... He, when our sin is cleansed and our sin is placed upon his son, not only does God forget, he forgets. It's as if he looks at us like his son Jesus and he does, he does not see that past sin. Now, some of you have never heard about a God like that. All we've heard about is the God who's waiting to get us and the God who judges us. And we grew up listening to that. And if you do this and you do that, God will never use you again. He'll put you on the shelf. You know, I've heard all those messages through the years and there's not a bit of truth to them. Now, is sin costly? Yes. Absolutely. When I was in... Bible college and expository preaching class. Our professor had us listen to this message by R.G. Lee. If you've never heard the message, you ought to go home and listen to it. The message was about David and Bathsheba. And if you know the story, David took another man's wife. He had the man put on the front lines and had him killed in battle, Uriah. King David did that. And, if, and uh, this preacher preached this story. I can still remember the outline. It wasn't just for preaching. It was something that God uh, instilled in my heart that I never forgot. Here was the outline. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll make you stay longer than you want to stay. And it will make you pay more than you want to pay. That's worth repeating. That's the story of Achan. That's the story of David. Sin 
will take you farther than you want to go. It will make you stay longer than you want to stay. And it will make you pay more than you want to pay. You cannot afford sin. So Nathan came to David. You know the story. He put his finger in David's face, the king, and said, You're the man, David. And, and David repented. David turned to the Lord. And, and we see David's heart, and we see what God said about David, that he was a man after his own heart after that. That's a great message in itself. But the scars were still there. You can't afford it. So learn from the lessons of others. Now, this morning, the message is called Second Chances. Okay? It's not on the screen, but you can write down the title there. It's Second Chances. Did Joshua need a second chance? Yes. The nation of Israel needed a second chance. They need to come back to God and uh, to do what he said the way that he said. And sooner or later, everybody in this room needs a second chance. Now, most of us can already relate to this well in advance because we see ourselves where Roy Regals was or we see ourselves where Joshua was, we see ourselves where Achan was, and thankfully, God didn't judge our sin the way he did Achan's. He gave us an opportunity to confess and to turn. That's what it means to repent. Confess means to say what God says, call it what God says. Repent means to to turn, to turn away from sin, to turn to God, and to say to God, I am sorry for my sin. I will never do that sin again. That's what it means to repent and be sorry for your sin. So, second chances. Here's what another preacher said. I like this. F.W. Robertson said, Life, like war, is a series of mistakes. And he's not the best Christian or best general who makes the fewest false steps. Poor mediocrity may secure that. In other words, the man who doesn't do anything may not make as many mistakes. You can be mediocre in life, just drift through life and say, I haven't made the mistakes that that person... Well, who wants to do nothing in the Christian life? Sitting on the sideline. Judging everybody else. Criticizing the guy that ran the wrong way. Let me go back. Life is like war. is a series of mistakes. He is not the best Christian or best general who makes the fewest false steps. Poor mediocrity may secure that. But he is the best who wins the most splendid victories by the retrieval of mistakes. Forget mistakes. Organize victories out of mistakes. That's a good halftime message. That's a good message for someone who thinks, I have so severely messed up that God can never forgive me, never use me, and people around me can't forgive me. You might be surprised the forgiveness that you would receive if you would just allow God to forgive you and allow others to forgive you. Because you know what? There's not a one of us in this room that are any different. None of us worse than the other, and none of us better than the other. So let's get that out, including the person standing in the pulpit, especially the person standing in the pulpit this morning.
There are two groups of people in the room today. The first person is the person who has failed and found forgiveness. Praise God. Can I get a witness from anybody out there? We have failed, all of us, miserably, and we have found forgiveness. Praise God. The other group is those who have failed God who think their failure is final. You may be listening online this morning. You may come across this message years from now and you think that's me. You know, I've been told or I thought or the devil has convinced me that my failure is so severe that I can never do anything to serve God again. That is not true. That is what the devil says. You know, Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. The Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren. And after God has forgiven you and you have received forgiveness, Satan will come around and tell you how sorry you are and how bad you are. And he will remind you constantly of things that you have. Have you ever had that happen? You know, years ago, things come back and all you can dwell on is not the good that God has done, but the failure that you have done in life. Satan loves to use that. By the way, his goal is to take all of us to hell. That's his goal. And if you're here without Christ or you're listening without Christ this morning and you've never trusted Christ, that's where you're headed because of your sin. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. God will forgive you. He does not want to cast anyone into hell. He wants to forgive. And sometimes we grow up with a God that we think is just waiting to get us and waiting to judge us. But that's not the God of the Bible. He's waiting to forgive. He wants to forgive. He made a way to forgive. And he's waiting for you and I to come on his terms and say, this is what I've done. I'm coming clean and I'm turning from it, and I'm receiving your forgiveness. That is the God of Scripture. He wants to forgive. And by the way, if you've been saved by the blood of Christ, he can't take you to hell anymore. That, you belong to him. He is, you are now his permanent possession. But he wants to destroy your life and get you out of the game. Every one of us. He wants to get us on the sideline, out of the game, convince us that somehow something we've done or what, who we are disqualifies us for serving him for the rest of our lives. That is not true. That is a lie of Satan, and he's a great liar. So are you out of the game? Are you like Roy Regal's? Sitting in the locker room in pity, saying, I'm not going back out there. I quit. I give up. I've disqualified myself. I'm not going. Well, there's one thing that Satan doesn't want you to know about. And here's what it's called. Grace. Grace. The grace of God. I'm a grace preacher. Because the Bible teaches it. That's the very nature of God. 
It's not what we deserve. What we deserve is what Achan got. That's justice, and that is, that is God's judgment and, and the reality of sin and the damage and what is required. There's judgment required for, for sin. But God is a gracious God who chooses to forgive, who chooses to offer to us on his terms a second chance in life. And happy are those who find it and pour their failures and their sorrows at the feet of Jesus and get up and get back in the game. Now, how do we deal with failure? Well, the first thing we do is we quit having a pity party about it. You know, uh, sitting around thinking, woe is me, I've done this and I, I can't go on. That was Roy Regal's in the first half. I'm just going to quit. Again, if you have sinned against God, you must begin with confessing your sin. If you are not a believer, your life with God and in Christ begins when you say to him, I am sinful. I am a sinner. I deserve what Achan got because I am a sinner by birth and I'm a sinner by choice. So once again, I will say, confess your sin to God. He is faithful and just to forgive. If you haven't started there, you have to start there. You have to confess it to him and say, God, this, this is who I am. I know who you are, and I can only fall at your feet in your mercy and receive your grace. But number two, we can learn from our failure. Did you know that? Of course you knew that. Because every one of us in life who have failed uh, has learned that, you know, next time I'm not going to do, do what I did. Next time uh, I'm going to practice my shot so when I'm standing under the basket all alone I can make that final shot. We learn from our failure. You know, Joshua was a great leader because he learned from failure. See, Joshua admitted some failure too. He went into battle without the mind of God. He went into battle trusting the word of men rather than saying, God, what do you want to do here? You know, there is a big difference. As a result, the nation failed, and as a result, 36 men lost their lives, so Joshua felt the pressure of what happened here as well. There's no mention of prayer, any kind of sacrifice, but it never happened again. Every time Joshua went into battle after that, there was an altar at which the nation came and they made a sacrifice and they said to God, we want your mind, we want your power, we want you to go before us because we have learned what happens when we do it our way. And there's failure. So he learned from his mistakes. Now Achan didn't have that opportunity, did he? That the, the judgment of God, and, and you, you can question that, but that's, that's the God that we serve. He's a holy God. He must judge sin. So don't blame God for this. It was Achan's sin. It wasn't God. When I read passages like Joshua 7, here's what I realize. If man had written this, this chapter would have been left out. 
If Joshua had written this, this chapter would have been left out. See, God tells it like it is. This is a whole book. Now, not just this, but this is a whole book of other people's mistakes. Really. How would you like to have a book, a public book written about your life? How would you like for God to reveal your thoughts and your intents and your mistakes as well as your successes? And how would you like for God to write a book about it? Well, he wrote a book about the lives of other people so we could learn from it. We can learn from our own mistakes, but we can also learn from the mistakes of other people. Time and time again, God tells us what happens when people disobey him. God tells us what happens when people uh, don't acknowledge him. God tells us what happens when people know what God says, yet they go the other direction as hard as they can go, knowing the whole time that they're going against God. That's what Achan did. He knew what God said, and yet he determined, I... I don't care what God said. I don't know that he said that, but in essence, that's what you're saying to God. I don't care what you say. I'm going to do my own thing. Well, failure's coming. And if you're wise, you'll look at the failure of other people and you'll say, I'm going to learn from this. And I'm going to learn to consult God in my own life. And above all, I'm going to obey God. Because I know that's where his blessing lies is in my obedience to him. Now, somewhere in the crowd that day were a lot of young Joshuas. They had seen Moses' failure. They had now watched Joshua in his life. Oh, they were watching Joshua. How's he going to deal with this? Is he going to just sweep this under the rug, or is he going to deal with this as, as God told him to do? So they're learning too, and people are watching your lives. You may think, who's watching my life? Well, plenty of people are watching your life to see how you deal with the successes and the failures in your life. Do you quit? Do you say, I'm not going back out there? Or do you listen to God and, as he told Joshua, get up off of your face, Joshua, and get back out there and lead this army? Well, lots of lessons Confess your sin. Learn from your failure. Learn from the failure of others. But may I say, may I give you a little preventative maintenance this morning? Learn to do it right to begin with. You know what? You don't have to live your life with regrets. There's plenty of instruction. There's plenty of encouragement in God's Word that... If we listen to him and we walk with him and we do life the way that God tells us to do it, we can walk through life walking with God from now to the day that Christ comes and we can stand before him without regrets. You don't have to make the mistakes of other people. Young people, you, you learn from people around you. don't have to make the mistakes that you've seen others make. You can walk with God and you can do it from now until Jesus comes and you can stand before him as Enoch did, walking with God 
from the day that you're saved to the day that you stand before God. That is possible. If that is not possible, we have nothing to preach this morning. It's possible for us to walk with God and please God all the days of our life. Now, is it very probable? It's not very probable because we're sinners. And, and when you're saved and you sin and you say, what in the world happened? I thought, well, you're still a sinner. You know, you still have that propensity and that choice to disobey God. But it is possible for you to obey God from today until the day that you see Jesus Christ. Learn how to do it right when you fail. Now, what did Joshua do as a result of this experience? I'll kind of wrap it up this morning. Well, he went on to the next battle, right? Wrong. He got on his face before God. He sought God's forgiveness. He sought God's power. He said, I'm not going forward until I know that we have the power of God again. And you can read these two chapters and you can see for yourself what Joshua did. He took the word. He took... Uh, the law of Israel, he set all the army down, young and old. No one was too young to hear this, and no one was too experienced not to hear it. And he read the law to them as they sat and listened, and he said, now this is what God says, and this is how we're going to go forward in obedience to his power. And as a result, God blessed. The... The story of AI is an interesting strategy, once again, in military strategy. It's called the ambush. What did they do? They sent a few men up, and they drew the other army out. It depends on the overconfidence of the other army. They sent their entire army out of uh, AI, and as a result, Joshua's army of 30,000 this time, not 3,000, closed in and totally annihilated the enemy's army. Who told him how to do that? God told him. You can read it for yourself. He said, okay, Joshua, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do it my way. And as a result, they had God's blessing. And you can do that today. If you're here without Christ, you never received him, you're listening to us online, you look at your life and you think it's a shambles. Well, God wants to forgive you and to make something of your life. Turn it over to him. Surrender it to him. Admit to him who you are. Admit to God who he is. He is perfect. I am sinful. I'm a sinner. I deserve judgment, but I want God's grace, which he has offered freely in the person of his son, and he will do what he says. He will give you his grace. And if you're here this morning and you have think you have failed God to the extent that he can never use you again, do not believe it. God is wanting to forgive. He's willing to forgive. He can take your life if you surrender it to him, and he can make something out of it. I promise you that he can. Now let me give you the rest of the story. Remember Roy Regals, who ran the wrong way? He went in the locker room at halftime and he said, Coach, I'm done. I'm ruined. I've ruined myself. I've ruined you. 
I've ruined the entire team. There is no way that I'm going back out in the second half. And here is what his coach said. Roy, it's only halftime. Get back out there. Get on that field. Quit having a pity party. And go back out. Learn from your mistake. And I'm sure Roy Regals or anybody else that saw that, including us, would never forget that mistake, running the wrong way. He went back out after halftime, and he had a stellar second half performance, including blocking a Georgia Tech punt. The, the quarterback who chased him down and tried to turn him around passed for a touchdown. He was the kicker. He kicked the extra point. But Tech would ultimately win the game. The opponent would win the game. They didn't, I wish, you know, it would have been perfect if there was a victory at the end of this. There wasn't. They lost, they lost the game. But the lesson learned was far greater than a football game. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from the mistakes of others. Do not let failures of the past put you on the sidelines. Confess it to God. Trust Him. Take Him at His word. And get back up. And get out on that field because it's only halftime. Bow with me this morning. As you bow and the music team comes, Roy Regals left it all on the field that second half. We know what that means. He went back out there and gave it his all. When you surrender to the Lord... No failure is permanent, and no mistake is beyond remedy. When you surrender to the Lord, when you say to the Lord, I'm giving it all to you, I'm leaving it all on the field, and I'm not going to go on blaming others and justifying what's happened in my life and all the things that we do rather than dealing with the issue at hand. The issue at hand is that we need to come clean with God and confess to him who we are, what we've done, and recognize who he is. He is the holy God of the universe who has every right to judge us. And he is a judge. But he's a gracious judge who forgives us based upon the work of his son, Jesus, on the cross. You see the weight of what Christ did for you? He took your place. He took that sin. Not only my sin, the sin of the entire world, every person who was living, who uh, had lived, who was living at the time, and would ever be born, including us, when he died on that cross, he was taking our place, and he knew. He knew that we would be born, and we would need a Savior. And he freely gave his life for us. And as a result, no, no mistake is final. No, no sin is so debilitating that God cannot forgive or that we can never do anything for Him again. So I'm going to invite you to do something. Come to Him this morning. Leave, leave it on the field. Leave it on the field. I'm going to ask the team just to play for a moment. We're going to keep our heads bowed. Maybe this morning, we don't often give a public invitation, but today with our heads bowed as they begin to play, maybe you'd just like to slip up to the front this morning 
and talk with God. Maybe you'd like somebody to pray with you, which we'll be happy to do. Maybe there's something you need to bring to Him this morning and say, God, you've been dealing with this all of my life. Today I want to surrender to you. I want to come on your terms and I want to receive your forgiveness that you have promised and offered. He is willing and waiting to forgive and to restore you to himself as we listen this morning. Would you come and meet with him or meet with him right where you are in your seat today? Don't leave here without dealing with what God has said to you this morning. Father, we're so thankful for the truth of your word. You tell it like it is. The good, the bad, the ugly. But we're so thankful that our lives can be triumphant in you and your forgiveness. And the power of the gospel that changes us. That shows us who we are, but shows us who you are. So that no defeat in life is permanent. But we must come on your terms to confess to you who we are, what we've done, and to receive the forgiveness that your son Jesus provided on the cross. What a wonderful truth that he took our place. He took my place. It's that personal. When he was on that cross, he was thinking of me personally. That I might be forgiven. That my life might count for you warts and all. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for Joshua and these lessons we've learned in transition. Lord, may we go forward learning from our own mistakes, the mistakes of others, but desiring to do what you say and to live life as you can bless. So thank you for the truths that we've learned. Help us to apply them to our hearts as we go today. In Jesus' name.